0: New York ain't New York anymore, how I miss those old towns of mine. What did service in the world wars mean to women who found new opportunities to do their bit, joining the fight as never before? Well, we'll ride along with some of those service members thanks to today's novelist. But first, hello history lovers and welcome. You know me, I am your host, Dean Carianis. This is the History Author Show on iHeartRadio. And a special tip of the hat to everybody joining today's time travel adventure via our YouTube channel. You can find me at historyauthor.com or across social media platforms. Plus, you can read my columns in the New York Sun to get my analysis of current events through the lens of what I've learned from all of these history books on the shelves behind me. In this episode, Our Time Machine welcomes back Jenny Walsh with her new book, The Call of the Wrens. Jenny previously joined us to discuss her books on Bonnie Parker. They are Becoming Bonnie, about the crash of the century when Bonnie met Clyde, and Side by Side, where you can always guarantee that they would go down together. You can find those interviews in our archives wherever you're enjoying this conversation and you'll find maybe three books that you'll want to get after today's interview not just one in the call of the wrens jenny introduces us to the women in the united kingdom's women's royal naval service who are shaped by the great war and by the second world war 20 years later when they're confronted by a life-changing moment that they meet head-on at 70 miles an hour this is a vivid emotional saga of love secrets resilience and the knowledge that the future will always belong to the brave souls who fight for it. Jenny Walsh is a longtime advertising copywriter, and as she describes it at JennyLWalsh.com, a lover of Swedish fish candies. Her first name is Jenny with an I. If you're trying to find her, visit her website at JennyLWalsh.com, and you can find her social media accounts, where you can download, by the way, the first three chapters of The Call of the Wrens. That shows you a novelist is confident in her work. Okay, now that we've gassed up our motorcycles, let's join Jenny L. Walsh and hear The Call of the Wrens. And here we are with Jenny Walsh. She's a storyteller of women throughout history, which I think is a great tagline to have. She's here to chat about her latest novel, The Call of the Wrens. Welcome back to the History Author Show, Jenny.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, I wouldn't miss it. I keep an eye on you on social media and always notice when new books, new promotions, new people talking favorably about your work, you have an incredible output, a really really solid and consistent (laughs) output. And this is impressive because you have a family and a social life as well. So you still manage to have that discipline that's inspiring to novelists and and writers everywhere. I first interviewed you way back at your debut Mm -hmm. novel, which was Becoming Bonnie. And Buddy and Clyde, attractive source material, and I think a lot of people can see, well, yeah, that book drives you to write it because they're just so Mm -hmm. fascinating. But you kept at it and you kept looking for new ideas. So how did you decide in The Call of the Wrens to create some historical fiction that was from a whole different period, from a, a different time? How does this idea come to you and why does it call to you? Why do you hear The Call of the Wrens?
1: Well, that's a great question. Um, well, I love the Second World War and the war periods in general. It's such a fascinating time. And part of that is because there's so many stories that haven't yet been told and many stories about women who haven't yet been told. And I came across the mention of the Wrens, which is the Women's Royal Naval Service in other books. But it was like a blip or it was just like a quick mention. And I was like, wow, this is an interesting group of women. It doesn't seem that the story's been told yet. So I started researching more about them. And then I came across the fact that there was these women who rode motorcycles across battlefields and during the London Blitz. And it was like this, whoa, moment, like they actually did that. So and then I was talking to my agent about it. And I was like, I don't think anyone's told this story in a novel yet. And she's like, go. (laughs) So I just dove (laughs) in and, and I was very fortunate to be the first one to Tell their story traditionally in a
0: novel form. That is a great feeling when yeah. you have an idea, and so they tell you, "Here, here's the pen, here's the paper." Yeah, uh, yeah turn it, off it, your yeah. phone. Yeah. <laughs> Let me smash your phone. I would because and that's how I feel. And you, you've told me a few times what novels you're working on and ideas. When it strikes me as a reader, and I say, "Boy, I want to read that." Get to get to work on it. That's a great feeling. And I think. <laughs> I think people are probably already clicking over to Amazon and saying, "Oh, wait, that—that's an untold story. It's interesting and mechanized protagonists, and also it's something that historians say sometimes. And I don't think I've ever heard a, a female historian say it before. But I love World War II, and it's—it's it's okay to love it, but it feels a little strange sometimes to say it. But yeah. we mean the, we mean the stories and the people that that's came crazy. from it, and and these overlooked stories because if we grew up on watching those. Movies like Holiday Inn with Fred Astaire and and all those, we we only see women in usually one or two roles, right? We don't see them here in this role as really participating, putting their lives at risk. Mm -hmm. You write in The Call of the Wrens, quote, the war had paralyzed time, and you switch between the two World War eras throughout the novel. And that always raises a a red flag for me. I always watch for the author's hand there because it can be tough, Mm -hmm. easy to get lost, And as you have somebody grow older, if you carry over characters, you're going to need to change their voice and pay attention to that because people wouldn't have talked even an individual I don't talk you don't talk I don't talk like I talked in the in the 80s, for instance, (laughs) I don't think any of us do things fall out of fashion. So how did you work that voice because you do cover a couple of periods here in the call of the Rens.
1: Yeah, so I have one character, Marion, whose story begins during the First World War and then extends through the Second World War, and then Evelyn, whose story picks up in the Second World War. And when I first began writing the novel, I was telling it in first person. So, you know, I got on the motorcycle or what have you. And I was realizing that there were so many parallels between the two storylines. Like, you know, both were involved in wars, Marion and both, both were on motorcycles, Um, They had different challenges, different backgrounds, and I tried to have different voices, but I felt like it might become confusing for the reader. So I ended up changing to third person and I decided to write Marian's point of view first. So I wrote her entire story um, just straight through so I could capture her growth and evolution and all that. And then I went back and wrote Evelyn's. And then since the novel goes back and forth, I had to kind of splice it together. But I hope it worked out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I think so. I, and I, like I said, I'm, I'm a pretty critical reader. And I, I think people know by now I wouldn't have somebody on who I didn't think they did great work. That's why your first novel, and as I recall, you that you had a bunch that were in a drawer before that but mm-hmm. you you did that thing they always say write one try you don't get an agent but don't get discouraged keep trying yeah, trying trying right yeah so i it just popped in my head today and that that shows you because that's that's many years ago now <laughs> i still remember that little detail that showed your commitment you said you know about the world war ii era did you also know about the world war one or great war era that they would have called it then because It seems to me that this is a period or these two periods, it would be very easy to get lost in endless research, picking up a story of a woman who had really been there. And you then I know I do go to the newspaper archives and start trying to track them down, find their stories. So how did you how did you discipline yourself or did you already know enough about both world wars that you were able to make those periods ring true?
1: Well, the interesting thing about the war periods is that they're just so vast. There are so many different countries involved, locations, cities, people's stories, timelines, events that when I was writing The Call of the Rents, I really want to just hone in and kind of just stay in my lane. So the novel takes place in London, primarily for Evelyn, and then France, primarily for Marion. So it kind of helped that I could just focus my energies there and I always start with with source materials. I I always try to get a memoir or a diary or something of of that nature and I was very fortunate to find a diary. It wasn't from a woman and it wasn't from a wren, but it was from a man who's in the army um, who was a motorcycle dispatch rider and he had this huge whopping amazing diary that was detailing all of his movements, what he did, his roles, the battles, and I was able to um, emulate that a little bit for Marion, and that was an amazing starting point, and I feel like I do a lot of that deep settings uh, research, and then once the voices start kind of colliding around in my head, that's when I know I have to start getting words down on paper, and then from there, I kind of just do like one-off research as I go to kind of fill in the gaps.
0: Well, whatever you're doing, it works. As, <laughs> as I said, for somebody critical like myself, you read it and you say, I don't want to see zippers if I'm in the Victorian era because right, they're yeah. not invented yet. <laughs> I don't want to see somebody with a wristwatch until the Great War, until World War One, because they didn't wear them. Little right. things like that. It, it may seem small, but it can really take you out of it. And it can just, I mean, for me, it's it's, I, I'm rooting for authors that I know like yourself and enjoy. So you see that and it's almost like it's one of your favorite players makes a makes an error so you had the <laughs> yeah. you had to pitch the perfect game here though in the call of the rents so I I praise you for that definitely
1: yeah
0: I wanted to mention something and you gave me the perfect in because you mentioned how you love World War II and then I mentioned that you don't hear a lot of female historians say that I think people tend to pigeonhole uh, human beings love to arrange things in groups and we like to say women's fiction and just put it over there in that section and then maybe men like myself will be denied the enjoyment of reading this Uh, and this is a conversation or something I mentioned when I interviewed Judith F Brenner about her book the moments between dreams uh, another novel and she talked about all the subplots in that and how important it was for her to make it for everybody and it certainly was as is the call of the I wanted to ask you so that men out there listening get that same feeling about this book Who did you base Edward, Marion's love interest on, and why as an author did you make the unique choice of choosing a character who early on doesn't know how to read?
1: Oh, those are some great questions. Um, Well, I'll I'll start by saying that I feel like there's a lot of historical fiction now that appeals to both men and women, even if it is technically um, women's fiction. I know Kate Quinn draws a huge audience from men and women, Kristen Hannah. Um, they actually are both favorites of my my husband. So I feel like there's a lot of women writing about the wars, and everyone's just gobbling them up. and i and I love that. There's so many stories to be told. And I personally don't care who's the one telling them, But I love that there's a lot of women doing it. And with the call of the wrens, um it was it was an honor to tell the story of these women. even though my two characters are fictional, they're kind of composites of all the stories from the wrens put together. Uh, Edward actually wasn't based on anyone either he's completely fictional but I did as you said make him so that he at the novel's onset he wasn't someone who could read and I think part of that was because Marion she is someone who um, in her childhood as mute it's selective she decides she's not going to talk to deal with a lot of hardships that she dealt with uh, but one way that she does communicate and that she does have relationships is through books. She really leans into characters in books and makes them her friends, like Jane Eyre and the Dashwood sisters. Like she literally thinks they're her friends. And when she comes across Edward in an orphanage and he can't read, she's almost baffled by that because it's her whole existence. And there's a moment where he asks her to help him learn. And at first, she just wants no parts of it. But she's also intrigued and saddened by the fact that he doesn't know how to read. And that kind of becomes the catalyst for their friendship and how their friendship grows. So books were really the in for the relationship.
0: And by the way, you dedicated the book to your husband. So Mm -hmm. to me, uh, it's... It's not just wrote you, you could be. I, I think maybe people see that there's a lot of work being a writer spouse. And I know my own wife is like that. You have to leave you alone sometimes. And, and I don't know for you, but I'll, so I'll ask you that. But when you're writing, are you really intense or do you uh, with children and with with your husband and all these other things going on? Do you find that you have to multitask? Because I know for me, I'm singularly focused. I need I need to be left alone. Sometimes my brain is too full of words.
1: Um, I am marginally good at multitasking, but I try to separate family and work whenever I can. So when the kids are home on the weekends, I try not to work and just focus on them. And then I'm at the point now where my son's in first and my daughter's in third. Yeah, third. So they're in school all day and I have the very fortunate um, opportunity to work all day while they're at school. So I try to separate the two. There are times when I'm on deadline, like I'm on deadline right now. So I had to work a little bit, you know, after dinner last night when the kids were home. But um, I try to separate it. But yes, my husband's been so supportive. I dedicated the book to him um, because he always pushes me to go for my dreams and he believes it can be done. So I wanted to give a little shout out to him.
0: Well, a little shout out to your first book and to Bonnie. Uh, As for me, I have only my dreams. Is that the line from the first book? So yeah, there you go. So I, I brought
1: that one back because the call of the wrens was actually my tenth book published. So it felt like a, kind oh. of a big milestone in my career, and just the fact that I've been, you know, working hard and trying to have as many books come out as possible. <laughs>
0: Well, those of you don't get that reference who didn't hear that first interview about becoming Bonnie, please do go back and check that out and you'll, and of course pick up the book and you'll get that little bit of poetry and how you, how a good writer, which Jenny Walsh is, works that all into her storytelling. Speaking of your storytelling and your words, I like to ask novelists to read a section from their work. What you choose tells us something about what you want to focus on, how you want to aim the author's eye, point at this, say, hey, check this out. This is a good part. Hook everybody. So go ahead, set up this pack, set up this passage from The Call of the Wrens and have at it.
1: Okay, so I'm going to, I think, read a little bit from Evelyn's perspective here. It's hard because I pride myself on layering as much as I can. So there's a lot of stuff that I wanted to read, but I'd have to kind of stop and explain. So I'm gonna read something early on. And Evelyn is a character who was born with clubfoot. And she is uh, very fortunate that her family has the means to correct it. So she, from the age of a couple hours old, starts surgeries and those extend all through her adolescent years until she's 16. So a lot of her childhood is sheltered. It's spent recovering. She didn't have the quote unquote normal childhood of going to school with friends and climbing trees and doing all that stuff. So she feels very, um, she's ready to go when her surgeries are done and she wants to explore the world. She wants to break free. And one of her family friends, Percy, he mentions the wrens to her and it's kind of just sparked something in her head. So I'm gonna read just a very short part um, the aftermath of learning about the Wrens. After Percy had told Evelyn about the Wrens, and specifically about their motorcycle dispatch riders, the notion of becoming one remained steadfast in her head over the next handful of days. Put simply, Evelyn felt called to become a Wren. She wanted to go hard and fast. She wanted to do more than sit in sewing circles and see to a victory garden. She wanted to forge her own way and she needed to do it before her mother tried to ship her off to the Wiltshire Academy to learn how to host dinner parties and become somebody's wife. Not long ago, Evelyn had been dare Devlin after all. Since revealing the motorcycle to her, Percy had done nothing more than speak to Evelyn about how to ride it, never turning over the keys to her. If she heard the word patience, One more time, he truly discovered how impatient she was, especially as he was set to return to London that evening. Finally, after nearly three long days, he dropped the keys into Evelyn's palms. With afternoon tea upon them, he agreed to cover for Evelyn with her mother's so she could give his motorbike a whirl. Evelyn's attempt at riding the motorbike were wobbly at first, yes, but she'd ridden bicycles before under the careful and watchful eye of her mother. The balance was similar. After momentum came into play, the act of staying upright was relatively easy and was made only a spell harder at a greater speed. She gripped the handlebars more tightly over each ripple of the ground, but Evelyn stayed on. Her left foot had no bearing on how well she could ride. She could see herself zipping about London, delivering important messages to important men who would make important decisions regarding the war. What a feeling, a feeling she didn't want to exchange for the mundaneness of her sewing circle or worse, the Wiltshire Academy. At the angle she sat atop the motorcycle, the trunk of her elephant figurine pressed into her leg within her pocket. Perhaps it was time Evelyn made her own luck, jumpstarting the coming of something good in her life. The thought prompted an impulsive decision to leave the Harrington's property and head toward town. Beside the cinema was a labor exchange office. So I'm gonna stop there. And I will say that she's going to go in at that point and enroll to be a Renz. And then from there, Evelyn's story just takes off at speed of a (laughs) motorcycle. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, you get so much done there in in that little passage. There has to be exposition, of course, but there also has to be the development of the character. There has to be the theme. We have to know the time. You do all that well there. But also, I like the way that you bring in her disability, not just as a mere description, not just as an, as an adjective that, that she has, uh, you know, she struggled with this. Like many people had polio back then, they wore those braces, they had those problems, but you, you work that in, in a way that it feels to me like a real character. She feels like a real person. How do you go about looking into that? Was that again, something you got out of that diary out of first person accounts, because it's really well done there. And it's, it does more than just describe her. It describes the book.
1: Um, I think with any type of, you know, quote unquote disability, um, there, no matter if it's physical, mental, it kind of affects us in similar ways. It's something that's a part of us. And I wanted her, um, I hate using the word disability, but I wanted her disability to be her character and be her and be part of her life and something that She doesn't have to overcome, but something that drives her forward. And I think I can look at my my own anxiety, my own depression in that similar way. And it's just part of who I am. And it's, you know, not something that's going to go away, but something you can learn to live with and use to help drive you in life and help accomplish things. So with Marion, with her mutism and with Evelyn, with her um, with her club foot, I just wanted it to be part of who they are. And not something that needed to be fixed
0: yeah and, and I find it interesting that as a reader I also immediately felt protective for and didn't want to say didn't want to say d- disability either because it is in a way just like having red hair or losing your hair like I am or <laughs> anything else it's you, you can't let that define you and that's something that good non-fiction history does too we read books about Franklin roosevelt even though he was in a wheelchair and had polio that's just part of the story and i think that's important that we all try to overcome whatever it is even if we look like perfect specimens everybody has something that they're discussing mm-hmm. with and as they say when you, you get on the bus uh, not all disabilities are visible keep in mind if somebody's sitting or parked in a handicapped spot that brings us to my next question and it's something that someone submitted shannon from the real bookery was kind enough to take the time to do that and add to our conversation. So let's roll that video question and then we'll get your reaction to it. Hi,
1: my name is Shannon from Real Bookery and my question for Jenny is how long does her research process
0: take? So there we go, Jenny. And novelists can get lost in research as I mentioned earlier. How do you find the right places to stop yourself? So you captured the period and you get things that maybe you don't know from your already voluminous reading and and watching about the Second World War and Great War?
1: I love that question. And I love Shannon. Her um, Instagram is amazing. If you haven't checked it out, definitely do that. I think I'm laughing on a daily basis on account of her. And research really is so important. And I see so many other authors who joke about how we will spend hours upon hours writing a single line that sometimes gets deleted. So it's funny how Much of our writing process really is researching, and I often will get lost in my research and have to pull myself back. But I'd like to start, um, like I said before, with primary resources, memoirs, diaries, uh, nonfiction books that pull from primary resources. I was very lucky to find a nonfiction book about the Wrens that was so helpful in just gaining this understanding. And then once I gain that understanding, that's when I really just let the characters take over and start writing pretty much a paragraph, and then I have to start researching again. And um, I think why we do so much research is just we just want it to be authentic. But I also want to make sure that I'm not just dropping in paragraphs of descriptions and what have you. So I try to weave it in, make it as authentic as possible, and then take out what I don't need because we want, You want pacing to be spot on and keep everyone turning the pages.
0: I was going to ask about if you had any details in there that or in your research that you wish you'd been able to bring up. I don't want to put you on the spot, but were there any little details there where you said, boy, I really would have liked to mention this about one of the motorcycles or this about a part of London where a scene takes place. But you just had to discipline yourself as an author and say uh, that that just can't go in. That just has to be something I know.
1: Well, it's hard a lot of times because something will happen outside my storylines timing and and I want to include it or it's something that wasn't invented quite yet. But it makes sense. And sometimes you can play with the timing a little bit. But um, and if I do, I always make note of it in my author's note at the end. So I think that's the greatest challenge is when something doesn't fit, but you really want it to fit and you have to remain true to your story and your characters in the time
0: setting. You're enjoying my conversation with Jenny L. Walsh about her novel number 10, by the way, her 10th book, The Call of the Wrens. You can visit her at JennyLWalsh.com or follow her across social media platforms. That is Jenny with an I, by the way, and I link to all of her social media on the HistoryAuthor.com page for this episode. Kristen Harmel, New York Times bestselling author of The Forest of Vanishing Stars, says The Call of the Wrens is, quote, laced with triumph and tragedy bravery and redemption this tale of finding oneself in modern history's darkest hours will break your heart and put it back together again all in one delightful read jenny what a great review Uh, that's why i picked it although there were many for me to choose from favorable reviews about the call of the wrens i wanted to focus though on that one idea of finding oneself that's something that can sound like a cliche and it's it's something if you just pitch this novel oftentimes people pitch it and say this is what it is and they don't really put any thought into it and that's enough to sell it to to push it out there or they think it is anyway so did you decide early on did you decide before you even wrote it who marion and evelyn would be for readers when they meet them and who they'd be on the final page or do you let them take you on that journey yourself? Do you put on your helmet, get on that metaphorical Mm -hmm. motorcycle and just follow them where they're going? How much of that do you do?
1: I will say in the call of friends, it was kind of a combination of having it planned out and then letting the riders take me on their own, their own course with Marion. I knew she, like I said, she was part selective mute and I wanted her to, Find her place. That's really what drives Mariana. She never really feels like she belongs. She was abandoned as a as a newborn by her mother, and then has lived in orphanages through her entire childhood. And one after another, just constantly being moved, and not by any fault of hers, but just that was there was no room for her at one, so she was moved to another. So she really never had a place where she felt she belonged. So I knew I wanted to have a evolution for her and a resolution for her where she did feel like she had a belonging and a place and a family um so I knew the beginning I knew the end for her I just wasn't quite sure the middle so I kind of let Marion take me on that journey and similar with Evelyn like I said she was someone with clubfoot whose whole childhood was very structured very um very sheltered and she just really wanted to go. She wanted to be free. She also really badly wanted to prove her worth because her mother was constantly telling her, oh, no, Evelyn, you can't do that. You're going to get hurt. Or no, Evelyn, that's too hard for you. So she just wanted to prove herself to herself, but also to her her parents and her peers. So when she saw the rents, that was an opportunity to really go after that. So again, with Marion, I knew I wanted Evelyn to go through that growth and that evolution and to come to resolution where she is able to achieve that. Um, and then with her, I just let it, I went for the ride in, in between as well and kind of let my characters kind of dictate where we went with the story.
0: You hinted at this earlier, but you write in the call of the wrens, what Evelyn's driver's license means to her. And you use as people heard in that passage there, use it as such a metaphor to represent their journey. Was that something that, from the very beginning you said wow motorcycles i I have to get i have to get into those i have to learn about that because that there's going to be so many opportunities for metaphors that maybe just beyond the motion is going to provide readers with a really special story and an insight where they're not apart from those motorcycles but they become part of them fulfilling who they are
1: yeah motorcycles were vehicles in the book figuratively and literally they were they were what propelled the novel forward, And what really drew me to want to write this novel in the first place, the fact that there were women who did this. Um, But yes, motorcycles were a huge part. And I mean, that's one of the reasons why they're smack dab right there on the cover. So I loved, I thought this cover was amazing that the way it portrayed the women and the dispatch writers.
0: Yeah. Very cool. And an interesting part of the, change that of that period in the wars too and motorcycles are something that's beginning to replace horses they've been around for a while by the time you get to the great war but then by world war ii we, we don't have many horses at least on the on the u.s side left so that that's something that i love it, you can literally just like your research get lost in just thinking about the call of the wrens as you can with the, any good novel uh i wanted to mention evelyn's physical test and something that ren phillips says to her later she says I reckon all the wrestling of the steering wheel has strengthened your shoulders and arms more than expected and it reminded me of even driving a car without power steering now or power brakes you'll you'll really get a a workout and if you watch i watched a movie the other day with desi arnaz and lucille ball and ricky's driving and even though he's not in a studio he's going like this and i i said to my wife well you really could do that in those old cars and now you turn it a tiny bit and the car's right. off the road right they, they react with modern steering so the, riding a motorcycle i imagine just like those older cars is a challenge for a modern driver and i wanted to ask you if you climbed aboard a period motorcycle for your research and if you didn't, how did you get the feel of the wind in your hair, so that you could share it with your readers?
1: Yeah, so that passage relates to um, Evelyn as Daredevilin, which is her like motor or her um, race car name. Because before she goes into the wren, she kind of stretches her wings a little bit by going around circuits on a race course, which was really really fun to research as well because I hadn't realized that during the 1930s, there was a whole circuit of women race car drivers. So um, Evelyn really starts to gain the understanding of vehicles during that time period. And that's what um, the Renville is referring to when she has to really wrestle the steering wheel. Um, So I didn't climb aboard a motorcycle for this research. I feel like um, my children would fear for my safety. but my grandfather used to restore old antique cars and he had a Jeepster and various others and they did not have power steering and i drove them drove them quite a few times and i remember the struggle and how hard it was sometimes to really turn that wheel so i did uh, go back in my mind to those moments when i was thinking about those scenes and and how you really have to like muscle the wheel at times
0: there there are other things that you do well in it that i want to point out for people who may be on the fence about picking it up and that's it's easy to roll your eyes when you're reading a book if you come across one of those items as as we were saying or inventions that didn't exist then but also language or things that people do. There, there are simply ways that people would have acted in the Great War and certainly World War II that they wouldn't act today, that we would recoil at. You know, they wouldn't think anything of, for instance, going into a, a segregated bar or something like that. They they just wouldn't have thought of it. And they they may be smoking. They may be doing all kinds of things that today jump out at us as, well, that that's that's just not how we live. And it's a little bit repellent. It's not just different, it could be a little bit repellent. So I wanted to ask you: How do you have the call of the Wrens be a book that lets modern readers look at it? They look at it and they say, "Well, that, that's that's how say a woman acted. It doesn't repel anybody that that she's acting like say a nineteen seventies feminist who she's she's pushing all the way, but she's also not acting like somebody who you say I wouldn't want to hang out with her because she she has some some negative moral or or negative political or whatever views that she might have." How do you go about disciplining yourself and writing a story that makes sure that you make it true to the person at the time, but also modern readers don't recoil from something that we wouldn't like here in 2023?
1: Yeah, I think it's just trying to be as authentic as possible and respectful as possible. There's a lot of derogatory language that has been used in the past. And I personally don't think there's a need to say it, I think you can hint to it and still being authentic. Um, just by saying like, you know, if, if your character um, reacts, being like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that word was said. You can just say that and that actually input the word. So I think there's a way to be authentic, but still be respectful. And I think a lot of readers really appreciate that. So it's something that I try very hard to do in my writing
0: thank you your your answer is much better than my question but you understood my meaning so i don't i don't have the luxury of editing when i when i'm mentioning it here but the that, that's exactly it so that thank you for answering that because i think it's something that if somebody says the things that they said at the time even we, we were saying disabled and saying well as a society now we're moving away from that term and it makes us a little uncomfortable well back then it would have been crippled as well right what people would have said and if you read that now it may feel it may repel you a little bit so i i appreciate you mentioning that and the effort you put here into the call of the wrens i want to close with a final question and that is why should readers and not just women by the way but fellas us as well pick up a copy of The Call of the Wrens to enjoy it themselves, go on this ride, and join these young women who do their bit and pitch in in the world wars?
1: Well, I've been told it's a good book. <laughs> so I I would hope that you pick it up if you're looking for a good book that's set during the wars. I have been um, very touched that the novel has been compared to the emotional you know, depth and capacity of The Nightingale. And there's there's themes of family and love and loyalty that are parallel between both those books. So um, if you're a fan of The Nightingale, I call The Wrens might tick some of those same boxes for you. And yeah, I hope you pick it up. This story was remarkable to tell of The Wrens and the motorcycle dispatch riders. And I feel very fortunate that I was the one who got to tell it? And it kind of has created this itch to be the one to tell other first stories. The novel I'm working on now, I'm doing edits very much into edits. I'm glad I actually didn't like talk about that book by accident today because it's so heavily on my mind. but it's the story of a woman named Violet Jessup who survives essentially three sinkings, one of which was the Titanic. um and I wow fortunate that no one had told her story yet in a novel. She's been in some nonfiction books and in some films like she's there, she's featured here and there, but there isn't a novel about her. So I feel very fortunate that I was able to tell the story of the Wrens and I'm able to tell Violet's story. And hopefully I'll be able to tell more stories from there as, you know, kind of a pioneer.
0: Well, we are fortunate that you decided to write the Call of the Wrens, Jenny L. Walsh. I, I'm fearful always when I read a good book, and I say, "Boy, I'm I'm so glad it wasn't in the hands of uh, an author that just didn't know how to handle them, that didn't take the care that you've uh, that you've showcased here today in describing all the facets of your writing process." So, thank you so much for joining us today to bring your fictionalized story of very real women, two lives. They put on their uniforms, they jumped in, answered the call of their country, king and country in the case, if we're talking about Great Britain. And so I wish you the best of luck with the book. I encourage thank everybody you. to go pick up a copy of it. And I'm so glad I'll let you get back. Please do to edits on the new book. and We'll look <laughs> forward to talking with you about that one.
1: And right, thank you so much. This is wonderful.
0: Again, the book is the call of the wrens as always you can find the amazon link to purchase your copy at the historyalter.com page for this episode by buying a book through us you help keep the flux capacitor on our time machine coming I mean like usual i have to once again thank jenny l walsh for joining us and for taking us on yet another great historical fiction ride this time with the wrens of the world wars Remember to visit JennyLWalsh.com and to follow her on social media accounts. And by the way, again, Jenny with an I. Plus, you can check out our interviews about her previous two novels. Those are Becoming Bonnie and Clyde and Side by Side, a novel of Bonnie and Clyde. Those are in our archives. And by the way, all of this, her social media accounts, the previous interviews are linked on the HistoryAlter.com page for this episode. If you enjoyed watching this conversation, first of all, thank you. Second of all, please do tell a friend and do subscribe at our YouTube channel for future journeys in the Wayback Machine. It may not be as fast as a motorcycle, but it gets you where you're going. And visit historyauthor.com to find my social media accounts too, as well as over 250 interviews with great authors like Jenny L. Walsh that you're sure to enjoy. That's it for this installment of the History Author Show. I hope you'll join us for our next all-new interview right here on iHeartRadio or wherever you enjoyed this journey into yesterday. Until that next trip into the past together, on behalf of Jenny with an I, Walsh, thanks so much for time traveling with us today and have a great week.